The Lord's been um, dealing with me the past few weeks on a message to minister to the church, to the church. And I want to minister a word this morning uh, from Revelations. And um, <clears throat> it's a thriving church in a dying culture. As I look around and I see what's happening in our culture and how our culture is dying, um, you wonder where the church is and where the church is going and what's going to happen to the church. So I put this message together these last few weeks that I've been uh, just recovering something in my throat, but other than that, God's good. And uh, Pastor Dietra here this morning said some things, used the scripture that I want to use, then she said something about the church I want to use, when she said brotherly love, the Philadelphia church, I said, I guess I'm preaching the right word. Amen. A thriving church in a dying culture. And, uh, you know, I want to do the same thing Pastor Mike shares. You need to get some paper and pencil because I did do a lot of scripture. And when they made up the, uh, the PowerPoint, I didn't know it was going to be that many slides because there were so many scriptures. But we'll try and Put it all together for you this morning. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the church, where the church is going. Lord God, where life church is going. I thank you for this church, Lord God. I thank you for the, the direction that we're going in. We want to be that thriving church in this culture, in this dying culture. And Lord, as we minister this word, let your people have their ears open to hear what the Spirit is saying, just like it says in Revelations, to have your ears open to what the Spirit is saying. And Lord, we just give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Before I really get to scriptures and everything else I want to minister about, we need to talk about an introduction to what I'm going to be preaching on. How many know the only hope for the world today is Christ and his church? That's the only hope that we have today. The culture we face is emerging into a confusing, godless, valueless mindset <clears throat> with mixed religions and mixed philosophies. We are confused. People are confused. You're hearing about mixed religions and mixed philosophies and all kinds of other things that are happening in the world today. And the call to every believer is to believe. Believe that Christ is who he said he was and can do what he promised to do. We need to believe the church is Christ's body and is called to do what Christ has purposed to accomplish and that it will succeed. We need to believe it. We must believe that we have sustainable truth. We have the truth that this culture needs to hear and the world needs to hear. 
We have a cause that's worthy of our life. We are Christ's church. We are the bride of Christ this morning. The absolute necessity is to believe we can build vital churches for today's culture, churches without compromise, without intimidation. Come on, saints. Without mixing culture with church philosophy, yet connecting to the culture. You see, we're trying to take the philosophy of the church and mix it with the culture of today. It's not going to work. We need to lift up our eyes and see church in this century as capable of being light and salt. Capable of impacting people and transforming people, cities, and nations. We need to believe that we can do that. I found some quotes that I really need to read. Francis Schaeffer, who was, you know, a great philosopher, a great writer, Christian man, wrote this. Does the church have a future in our generation? Now, he wrote this years ago. I believe the church is in real danger. It is in for a rough day. We are facing present pressures and a present and future manipulation which will be so overwhelming in the days to come that they will make the battle of the last 40 years look like child's play. He said this many years ago. We, I think, in this time now, Carl F. Henry, a theologian, wrote this. When the great meltdown comes, where will you be? Trapped in Sodom? In the bleak twilight of a decadent culture, where will you be? Overtaken like Lot, looking back at the citadels of sin. Wake up, wake up, American culture is sinking towards sunset. In a book, When Nations Die, says this, Jesus Christ is the paradigm which forms the very possibility of an ultimately meaningful history. I am convinced that the lessons of history confirm that fact. We are living in a time of crisis. People confirm that fact, and people are desperate for hope. We long for relief from the nightmare of fear and uncertainty. In the end, the only reliable answer for a nation in distress is a return to the hinge of history and the source of truth that makes life meaningful and tolerable. Can we do that? Can our society be renewed in time to stop the ravages of anarchy and decay? Can we do that? C.S. Lewis wrote in the screw tape letters, and there was a little story in there about the senior screw tape, the senior devil, instructing a junior devil how to tempt and trap humans. And he said this. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I I do not mean that the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But, But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. 
We are in a crisis, saints. You're in a crisis. Now, the most famous first century letters are written to seven city churches. They were in Asia, and they bear the names of these cities. The letters are written from Christ to the head of the church, to the seven churches. Christ stands in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks with the seven stars or the angels of seven churches in his hand. These stars are held in his right hand, symbolizing his favor and protection upon them. Amen? He has a message for each star, the angel of each church. He has a message which is to be given to the whole church. But before we get to the letter of the seven churches, let's talk about a dying culture, a description of a dying culture. Let's talk about that. What is a dying culture? Well, a dying culture is a death of truth. A lot of people don't tell the truth no more. They give you all kinds of excuses, all kinds of answers, but not the truth. Humanism, atheism is flooding our society. Evolution, we come from this one, or come, we come out of the sea. We have all this evolution. Amorality. You are, you're okay, I'm okay. Relativism. Fantasy-driven. Just watch television. We are fantasy-driven. Our children are fantasy-driven. They're in our restaurants, not eating, fantasy-driven. Come on, saints. We have the exaltation of nature. We have, we have feeling orientated. Make me feel good. You, you have to make me feel good because if you don't make me feel good, you see, even the kids got to feel good so nobody loses no more. Everybody's a winner. So you don't fail in school no more. Everybody passes. Let's go... So we become feeling orientated so that when they go home, mommy can say, oh, I feel so good about you. We are redefining God. We have a new tolerance. Everything is okay. Unimaginable violence. Just look at the newspapers. Look who's killing who, shooting who, going in school, shooting this, killing teachers, killing pastors, killing. So what happens? We wind up with a stagnant church in a dying culture. A church that has traded spiritual passions for empty rituals, traded spiritual power for clever methods, Spiritual life for carnal complacency. Spiritual uh, principles for carnal creativity. To make everybody feel good. 
And it's a dead church and a dead culture. Has sold out its spiritual life for cultural confusion. Has sold out its spiritual power for cultural counterfeit. Has sold out its spiritual truth for spiritual lies. For cultural lies, I'm sorry. Sold out its spiritual souls for cultural comfort. But a thriving church. Hallelujah. I believe Life Church is a thriving church. It's a flourishing church. It's a prospering and favored church. It's a successful and advancing church. It's a revived church. It's a growing church, an anointed church, and it's an honored church. And that's a thriving church, saints. And you need to give praise to God that you go to a church like that. Revelation one twenty. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The vision that we see here is the natural introduction of all that follows after that. It defines something. It defines the main purpose of the whole book inasmuch as it shows us Christ sustaining, directing, and indwelling the churches. It all encompasses that as we go forward in the book. The Greek word angelos can mean either angel or messenger. Some take these angels to be assigned angels of the churches for each region. Others take them to be pastors of the churches since John was to write the message to them that figured they are pastors that he's talking to. So I see no need for taking the angelos or messengers to be anything but men. The recognized heads and representatives of their respective communities, their respective churches. Amen? The angelos of each church had the letter addressed to him, and he was spoken to in a word of rebuke and exhortation, and was seen as one who could sin and repent, who could be persecuted and die, who could fall into heresies and be perfected by suffering. But the encouraging fact is that the church pastors and leaders are all in the hands of Christ. And saints, he can change leaders and he can equip leaders. They are under the power and the influence of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, that he himself, he himself, gave some to be apostles, some pastors, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you know what we need, saints? We need to pray for the appointed leaders of the church. We need to pray for Pastor Mike. 
you to pray for the elders. You to pray for the leaders of the appointed church. Because leaders can be overwhelmed with the culture. Overwhelmed with it. They can be stretched with the tensions of an ungodly culture and biblical standards. There's pressure on leaders today to try and try and figure out what's going on with the culture and with the church. We get discouraged with lack of results. We face the reality of not knowing how to connect Christ to the people of today's world because ideas are not working. Well, let's come up with this idea. Let's come up with that idea. Let's do this. And not working. The church is under attack by the devil. It's misrepresented by the media. It's misrepresented by educators. And it's misrepresented by people. It is unpopular with the new tolerance philosophy that says all religions are equal except Christianity and the church. It is belittled or criticized by Christians who choose not to support, attend, or even give to the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, saints. Seven lampstands. The seven churches. The Old Testament, the lampstands, are very significant. In Exodus 25, 31, it says, You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be all of one piece. Exodus 30, verse 7 and 8, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Zechariah 4, now the angel who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and the seven lampstands with seven pipes through the seven lamps. Significant even in Old Testament Scripture. First Samuel 3, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was laying down, or lying down. Lampstands represent the local churches. Not the television churches. But the local churches. Revelation 1.12 Then I turned to see the voice that God spoke with me and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands. Revelation 1.20 The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Revelation 2.5, remember therefore 
from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from your place unless you repent. He's talking to the churches. Of the seven churches in Revelation are Ephesus. In Revelation 2, the Greek meaning is it's a desirable church, but it was seen as the careless church. Then you had Smyrna. In Revelation 2, the Greek meaning is myrrh, and it was the crown church. Then in three, uh, the third church was Pergamon. In Revelation 2, the Greek meaning was marriage, but it was the compromising church. Oh, hallelujah. Something, isn't it? Then, diathria in uh, Revelation 2 is the continual sacrifice. That's what it meant. That was the corrupted church. Then there was Sardis in <clears throat> verse, th uh, verse 3, 1 to 6. The Greek meaning is a remnant, but it was the dead church. Then Philadelphia. And I'm glad that uh, Sister Deitra, Pastor Deitra said this. Revelation 3, and that's the Greek meaning is brotherly love. It's the church with the keys. It's the church with the keys. The keys of David. And then you have Laodicea. Revelation 3. The Greek meaning is people's rights. And it's the lukewarm church, which he will spew out. But today I want to talk about one of the churches, the Philadelphia church. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Philadelphia was a very young city. It was located like 28 miles southwest of Sardis. It had been founded by Attilius II of Philadelphus. It was also called Little Athens because there were so many temples in the city. It was built to establish Greek culture, pure philosophy, and Greek, Greek value systems. The prophetic strength, prophetic strength of the Philadelphia church is seen historically. From A.D. 100 to 160, the church prospered under the ministries of a prophetess named Amia, who was recognized as ranking with Agabus and the four daughters of Philip in her possession of the gift of prophecy. We need the prophetic church back. Philadelphia was a gateway city. It had great characteristics. It was on the edge of a great plain called Kakakukmenia, if I can pronounce it, which means burnt land. It was a great volcanic plain bearing the marks of lava flow and ashes of volcano. And Philadelphia was situated in a strategic place on the main route of the imperial post from Rome to the east. It was called the gateway to the east. How many know we're on a gateway here? 
We're a gateway city, believe it or not. Now they're building this highway going through here. We're a gateway city. But Philadelphia had a hopeless atmosphere. It was bleak, it was cloudy, it was dim, it was oppressive, because it was destroyed by earthquakes. And the tremors would continue for years, and every time a tremor occurred, they were reminded of the previous destruction and the potential danger that it was under their feet. Every tremor reminded them and opened the door for fear, hopelessness, vain imaginations, no, no here mentality. Minor shocks became panic shocks as life was interrupted continually. A historian describes the shocks as daily occurrences. Gaping cracks appeared in the walls of homes and some parts of the city remained rooms. And after the earthquake in A.D. 17, many people lived outside the city in fear of the city streets. The city was in need of a word for the future. We are in need of a word for the future. Let's get into the content of the letter then. Go to Revelation 3, verses 6 to 13. We're doing a little teaching today. I hope you don't mind. 6 to 13. Really read this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, true, he who has what? Keys. Not one key. He who has the keys of David. He who opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Exactly what we were singing this morning. You don't deny the name. Jesus. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes. How many overcomers do I have here this morning? He who overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name, he who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I know your successes. I know your failures. I know the challenges. I know the difficulties. I know all that. But have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now, saints, the thriving believer rises up to build thriving churches. Rise up. Just as Dietrich said this morning, we need to rise up. Take the keys of David. How many thriving believers do we have here this morning? Come on, saints. Rise up and hear what the Spirit is saying. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, I write. What the Holy Spirit is saying is right. So hear with spiritual ears, not what the media says. Not what the newspaper says. Not what the politicians say. Not what the economists say. Not what the educators say. Not what anybody else says. But what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not the word of men. Or the voices of other spirits. But Revelation 2.7 but he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who what overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He, come on, who overcomes shall not be hurt in the second death. Revelation 2, 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who what again overcomes, I will give some the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Revelation 2.29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to believe a reliable source. These things say it, he that is holy and true. These are the words of truth. The word from the reliable one the real one. Believe your future, saints, is sealed in Christ's word, not in the circumstances that you see on TV and what you see in this culture, not in those circumstances. You are sealed in Christ's word. Your life, your home, your church, job, Economics may be gloomy, 
every tremor in your world might be an open door to fear or an open door of faith. Look beyond. Come on, saints. Come on, everybody. Look beyond your present circumstances and live above it by faith. Give the Lord praise this morning. Rise up. We need to rise up and take the keys that are provided. How many know keys lock and unlock? Keys go with doors or safety deposit boxes or whatever, but, or safes. But keys unlock things. They unlock the door. God has the keys for your life to open all the doors. We have to grab hold of these keys. This is the key of David. How many know we need to take the key of David for a new release of worship? Take that key of David, not only personally, a new worship experience and bring it into the church where we could have a whole new release of worship. Key of David. Take the key of knowledge for a new ability to learn. You don't have to get on and watch TV to learn. Get that key and open up. And by the Spirit of God, you can learn so many things. Take the key to the bottomless pit for a new faith, for a deliverance from anything. Take up that key. Revelations 9.1, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Come on, saints. Grab the key of death and hell for a new beginning. Revelation 1, I, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Take the keys of the kingdom. Come on. The keys of the kingdom for a new power and intercession for warfare. Get the keys of the kingdom. As surely I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Saints, we need to rise up and go through the doors of opportunity. Behold, I have set before you an open door. I take notice I have placed before you a door which has been opened. Mark it. I have set before you an opportunity. A door having been and thus remaining open, having already been open. Saints, how many know people move through the door of God's opportunity 
when they hurt enough and they say, I'm going to step forward because I am fed up. I have had it. I have had it. I have had it. I am fed up. And I'm going to take the keys of David and the keys of the kingdom. And I'm going to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not what the teacher is saying in the school. Not what the politicians are saying. Not what the media is saying. Not what any other man is saying. But what the Spirit of God is saying. When you learn enough to step to the door by faith, and you've been hearing that for the last, I don't know how many weeks, from Pastor Mike, by faith, by faith, walk through the door to receive enough strength to risk and move out. Acts 14, 27, now when they had come together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. But how many know adversaries come along? First Corinthians 16, it says, For a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many. Not a couple of adversaries, but there are many adversaries. As soon as you start moving, well, you know, you're going a little too much now. That's a little bit too much now, you know. Ho, ho. Wait a minute. Can't say that. No, 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 no. Someone, you know why? Because someone's trying to shut the door on you. And they want to stop the work of God. Well, let's start with the military. Let's take God out of that. Uh, let's take, well, we started with the school. That's already down the tubes. So where do we go next? Well, let's say we'll start with the military. We're going to put uh, girly caps on the Marines. And uh, we're going to take God out of this. Take God, the uh, Air Force, take a God. Take God off everything. Adversary. They want to stop the work of God. But how many know they're not able to interfere with the Lord who keeps the door open? Come on, saints. See, the adversaries may be many. They may try to close the door of opportunity, but they're not going to succeed. <laughs> I'll tell you, they're not going to succeed. It's not going to happen. God is in control. It's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to succeed. When our work and motivation is acceptable to the Lord, we can expect to receive help. No earthly power can stand against us. Revelation 3.8 states, a door which no one is able to shut. Saints, we need to rise up and combat the spirit of intimidation. There's a spirit of intimidation on the church. Oh, we can't say nothing. Oh, you can't do this behind the pulpit. You can't do that. Whoop. Don't say that. Oh, no, no, please don't say that. Whoop. You said, Jesus, when you pray, oh, can't say that. And we get intimidated. 
Revelation 3.8 says, for you have little strength. Let me tell you a story. He says, for you have little strength. During World War II, General Creighton Abrams found himself and his troops surrounded on all sides. And then with this characteristic optimism, he told his officers, for the first time in the history of this campaign, we are now in a position to attack the enemy in any direction. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Second Timothy 1 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Saying small things and small beginnings are not to be despised. Zechariah 4 said, For he has despised the day of small things. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the world. The mountains of resistance will be leveled like a plain, saints. Zechariah 4, 6 and 7. So he answered and said to me, Thus is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plague, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. We need to rise up and destroy the strongholds that resist your progress. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. We need to rise up and stand your ground with perseverance. Listen to this. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Now, persevere in the Greek means <clears throat> to patiently endure, remaining steadfast and unwavering in the face of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. Stand fast. It says, in the hour of trial, which means... Adversity, affliction, trouble, testing. It is a season of testing, a time of testing, or prove one's faith, holiness, and character. And then he says, hold fast, which means to seize, lay hold, or take possession of, the, and master, to take possession of what is already yours. Master what is already in your hands. And saints, rise up and overcome and be a pillar in today's culture. We need to overcome. We need to subdue. We need to conquer. We need to prevail. We need to get the victory. Come on, saints. Believers, must overcome all the power of culture so as not to be conformed but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Leaders, leaders must overcome all the power of hell so as not to be discouraged 
or defeated and to build thriving churches. And saints, lastly, we need to rise up and we need to receive a new identity. Revelations 3.12, I will write on him the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Saints, the church's new identity is formed around Christ. Christ, who is the head of the church, has committed to building his church. The new identity is in what Christ says about the church and what he says we are, we are. We are overcomers 